So one of the things that uh, I think is true for us that uh, we tend to take for granted, but a week like this is a a good thing for us, and that's um, God provides us with uh, rhythms to our lives and to our week. And so just because things seem uh, difficult or unraveling around us, the fact is that the Lord's Day comes around and God's people gather to worship, to pray, to confess, repent, and to hear the good news every week. And uh, nothing keeps that uh, rhythm from happening. So that's a, that's a, that's a good uh, thing for us to remind us, because uh, the temptation is to, um, to think that what you see on the news or around you uh, on social media is all that there is. And then you come to church and you're like, Oh wait, there is something else, and there is someone else, someone else. So uh, that's good. The other thing I want to mention before I pray and I read the scriptures is, so notice back, uh, backyard children's worship is going to resume in two weeks. That's good. And how awesome it is uh, today to hear the sound of kids in this room um, is is a good thing. And so um, I am, I'm glad for that. So uh, before I pray, or before I read the scripture, let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Lord, thanks today for loving us. Um, thanks for this rhythm of life that we have that uh, we turn aside uh, from uh, much uh, to rest in you this day and uh, to be re-reminded of uh, what's true and who is true. So bless us today, we pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Philippians 2, 17 uh, through 24. This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So um, one of the things that's hard for us to see because we're... uh, uh, we're in this country, uh, and for many of us to, to understand is how America uh, and the church in America kind of distorts things. And what I mean by that is, in, in America, we uh, uh, we believe in the market, right? We believe in, uh, and, and that's a good thing. But when the church becomes driven by the market, the the, the gospel sometimes gets distorted. In other words, it used to be, that the point of the church, one of the points of the church, one of the primary points of the church, was by teaching us the gospel, by shaping us, by giving us a community, it was preparing us not just to, to live life now, but preparing us for a destination, preparing us for eternity, right? <clears throat> I read a, a, an editorial a few years ago that said that one of the things that shifted in the church is that uh, um, it, it, the, the illustration that they used is of uh, ocean liners, right? It used to be 
that you got on a ship to go somewhere. That was the point, right? You got on a ship and it was supposed to take you somewhere. Now you get on a ship to drink and gamble, right? And eat, eat a lot of food. Maybe, you know, you stop somewhere along the way for a couple of hours, stop somewhere else along the way for a couple of hours. But that, 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 the, that the ship is the point, not the destination. Right? So what the church looks at is like, well, what we need to do is have a party and drink and gamble. No. What the church says is that we need to, you know, recognize that and to be able to attract people to our ship we need to have a party ongoing and that that's the point. And it doesn't mean that the church is stupid or unaware of what's going on in the culture. But the truth of the matter is I am not doing my job. The gospel is not doing its job. The work of the church is not doing its job. If it's not preparing you for a destination that lasts forever. And so one of the things that we lose sight of is the fact, which, you know, is kind of ironic, right? Because if we were really into marketing, you know, the, there's, a, there's a universal thing that's true of every human being, and that is that we are all going to die someday, and that the church has the answer for that. <laughs> you would think that would be really important marketing to get out there, right? Because, that's, you know, the market share for people who are going to die is really big. <laughs> right? It's really big. Uh, and so we, we have a message about that, right? Now, now, now granted, we, we need to talk and we need to make sure that the gospel gets applied to how we leave, lead our lives now and that that is good preparation for what is coming ahead. But that is the truth, right? And so as Paul looks at his life, as he is writing this letter to the church at Philippi, he has that in mind. So what he is doing here is he is uh, it, it, the, the letter to the church at Philippi has a couple of things about it that um, are, are good reminders to us uh, today. And so a, a quick review. Paul's partially writing this letter to inform the congregation in Philippi about how he's doing. Remember, he's in prison and he is facing a trial and likely martyrdom. And so they have been concerned about him. And so he is writing this letter to them to reassure them that even though he is facing death, his faith, his joy, those things are are secure for him. And he is resting in those things. But he is also writing them because there's a problem in the church. And the problem in the church is... Uh, that there are disagreements, that there is trouble, that there are things that are tearing at the unity of the church. And so he's proclaiming to them, again, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and holding up to them Jesus as not only the, the, uh, uh, the, the founder, in a sense, of our faith, but we see the work that Jesus has done as uh, a model for how the church lives together. Right. And we'll we'll get into that a a little bit more because he's pastoring them by urging a certain type of attitude and lifestyle that will heal the divisions in the church. Um, And so it's as if, you know, we we have uh, we are founded as a church, we're existing as a church. And then someone uh, uh, who who, uh, comes back to us, writes to us as a missionary to say, here's how I'm doing and here are the things that I'm concerned about, about what's going on in your church. 
what's happening there. And so Paul is, is, is doing that even as he faces a, a trial and martyrdom, he is very concerned uh, that the Philippians know that his joy is settled, but also, also that they would look at Jesus and see how Jesus is going to, uh, his life is going to redirect the way they live together. Now what he's going to do in this part of the letter is he's going to shift his attention back to giving them a report about how he's doing, and he's going to talk briefly about himself, then he's going to talk about Timothy. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. And then in next week we'll look at Epaphroditus. And really what he's doing here is he is holding up Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples of the kind of life that he's talking about. Because remember what he has said Earlier in uh, 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 chapter 1, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So what he, he's getting at here is that he wants their lifestyle to look like Jesus. So as the gospel gets proclaimed, as they hear the word of the cross, as they see that what he wants to happen is that message to begin to shape the way they live together, to shape the way they they serve one another, right? If Jesus, uh, as he says there in chapter 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, that Jesus came as a servant, that though he was in the form of God, didn't consider uh, equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and then dying on the cross for his people. So he wants them to have these kind of attitudes as they confront each other and they confront the difficulties and the divisions that are in their church. And now he's going to say, talk briefly about his own life, how that is reflecting that. And he's going to talk today about how Timothy does that, right? And so he's going to give us lived and dying examples of what he is talking about in himself, Timothy, and and Epaphroditus. Because in every one of these cases, what we're going to see is that Paul, that Timothy, and Epaphroditus have been moved by the gospel, have been changed by Jesus Christ, and as a result of that, as they proclaim this gospel, they're actually demonstrating the truth of the gospel in the way in which they live, and in particularly in the way in which they sacrifice for the life of the church there in Philippi. That, that's, that's the thing. The gospel gets credibility in Paul's life because even as he's there in prison facing martyrdom, he is concerned for the progress of the gospel and for the lives of those people back there uh, in Philippi. And so as a result of that, he is going to send Timothy to them. Next slide. So it is, uh, it's, it's a great thing for us to see that he is reflecting here His own life, right? He has already said that if he dies, that would be preferred because he would go and be in in heaven. That that would be, that that would be the thing for him. That that would be joy for him. That that would be gain. That if he were to go ahead and be martyred, he would be set free from the effects of sin on him. He would be set free from, from the, uh, the weight of the curse and that he could enjoy unbridled and unbroken fellowship with Christ forever and ever. But for the sake of the church and for the sake of the people there in Philippi, he is willing to continue because what he really wants to see happen is, and the point of his life is that through his sacrifice, through his suffering, through his teaching, through his example, then what's going to happen is, is that Christ will be formed in those people in Philippi, which, which makes sense, right? Paul's not just telling them this is how to be. 
this is what to believe. He is telling them this is what to believe, and he is demonstrating that in the way in which he lives, in the way in which his life goes. So here he is, even if he's poured out as a sacrifice, because Jesus was a sacrifice, then the life that we live together has to be one that's marked by sacrifice, right? That's, that's exactly what uh, he, he's getting at in this, in this, uh, by talking about his own life. And he's glad and, and he rejoices because he has that opportunity. There's joy in the gospel, right? There's joy in sins forgiven. There's joy in Jesus. There's joy in the love of God for us. And there is joy in demonstrating that love and experiencing that love in community where we live a sacrificial life for one another. So that's what he wants them to see because he recognizes that just telling people that Jesus loves them, as powerful and as profound as that is, to, what needs to accompany that is the fact that the love of Jesus has, has transformed Paul and can transform their life together as a community, that it can heal the rifts heal the difficulties and heal the divisions that are there in their church. And so that they, they can know that he is okay, he, said, he goes on to say, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. In other words, that Timothy would go, tell them how Paul's doing, and then bring back news. He goes on to say about Timothy, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So his, his thing is, what he's going to do is he's going to send Timothy back, probably with the, a copy of this letter, along with Epaphroditus, to assure them about, about how he's doing. Now what is crazy about this is, is he points to Timothy's selflessness and to Timothy's focus on serving the interests of Jesus Christ in the church. I mean, think about this for a second. If you're Paul... And you're going to say, I'm going to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely, who is genuinely concerned for my welfare. Right? Now, certainly Timothy is concerned for Paul's welfare. But Paul sends Timothy to them because as he looks across all the people that he is there in church with in Rome, all the Christians that are around him, he sees that Timothy is concerned for the church at Philippi. And that Timothy's life is moved and motivated in ministry to be willing to sacrifice for those people. That, that because Jesus loves Timothy, Timothy is going to be willing to pour his life out, to sacrifice himself, to love those people at Philippi. And that there's no one else like that there in Rome. That, that there are other Christians there, but they don't have the same uh, heart, they don't have the same uh, attitude that they are going to do whatever it takes to serve the people there in Philippi. Now, it's important for us to, to take a second, and uh, Timothy is mentioned at the very beginning of the book. Who is he? Uh, because if Paul is writing such glowing things about him, who is he? Well, just a, a, quick, a quick thing about him. His name is of Greek origin, and it means honoring God. Okay? Um, his father was Greek, and his mother, Eunice, was Jewish. His grandmother, Lois, taught Timothy the scriptures. Now, I, I just think that's a, a great thing to stop at because for years I thought the grandparents in this church were just kind of odd, funny little people because they were so focused on their grandchildren and that sort of thing. Um, but I have come to realize that the witness that a grandparent has in the life of a child uh, can make all the difference. 
Um, we have a lot, suddenly we have a lot of Bible storybooks at our house. Um, they've gotten much cooler over the last 20 years. Uh, and so it's important for us to bear witness to our grandson about uh, not only the legacy of faith that he has in his family, but who Jesus is, what the Bible is, those, those sorts of things. And we get to do that, right? So here's the faithful witness of a grandmother uh, having effect on uh, <laughs> the apostle and on the, uh, on the church there at Philippi. Timothy is a native of Lystra and may have been a convert to Christianity during Paul's first missionary journey. One of the, it's very likely that, that Timothy's household, at least his grandmother and his mother, were uh, early converts, and that's how Timothy came to, to faith in Christ. When Paul came to Lystra on his second journey, Timothy was already well-respected and a leader there uh, in the church uh, in Lystra, and Paul went and had Timothy circumcised for the sake of Jewish believers so that, the, that Timothy's ministry would not be, be hindered by that. Next slide. Timothy accompanied Paul and was sent on many, many crucial missions. I mean, they, Timothy is all over Paul's ministry, right? He's, the, he's there in so many turns, in so many key places, and he was present at the founding of the Philippian church. Right, uh, he's close uh, to Paul and is uh, with Paul and is mentioned in these uh, six letters that Paul wrote. So they're together a lot. They are true uh, partners uh, uh, in ministry, right? And then lastly, Paul refers to Timothy as his child in the faith. And even here he says, um, you know Timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel, right? Now, here's the thing that's important about that. Now, put yourself in, 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 in Timothy's shoes. Timothy's a young man, uh, grows up in the faith, uh, has personal interactions with Paul. Paul takes him under his wings. So you're Timothy, you're a young man, and you are hanging out with a guy who has seen Jesus face to face, who's raised the dead, who's healed sick people, who has been in uh, seeing visions of heaven that are too wonderful to speak, who receives direct revelation from God, who goes about proclaiming the gospel of Christ, who is a real hero. Now, what do you think it was like for Timothy? Do you think Timothy's, when I think about that, I think, well, Timothy's ministry for Paul must have been like the carry is his suitcase for him, right? I mean, what, what, you know, we, that's the way we kind of think about it, right? That, that Timothy was useful in the sense that he could be a helper. Well, I'm certain that he, he is a helper, but one of the things that you see that's so key about this is Timothy is necessary to Paul. Paul, even though he is his father in the faith, needs the son in the faith to encourage him. You see, what, what Timothy's ministry in Paul's life is, Paul sees the gospel in Timothy. He sees Jesus Christ in Timothy. And he sees Timothy being willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of this church in Philippi. And that encourages Paul. Paul needs Timothy's encouragement. 
He needs his fellowship. He needs his companionship. He needs to have someone who is walking through the the struggles and the victories and the hard things, somebody who is with him and for him. And so it's not just that that Paul has this ministry where, where Timothy is his lackey. It's not that at all. They have a real partnership together, and Paul's ministry is shaped and formed and encouraged to a large degree because he has someone like Timothy who encourages him who walks with him, who is in fellowship with him, who loves the same things that he loves, who challenges him, who encourages him, who that Paul can trust to carry on his ministry. You see, one of the things, too, that America has gotten wrong about Christianity is that we are so focused upon converting the individual that what we have forgotten is that the the message of the gospel, that the work of Christianity, that the work of the life of the Christian, that the life of the Christian is a life of companionship and fellowship. That there That there is no real view in the scripture, at least in the New Testament, for herm, her, hermetic, hermetic, individual Christians off by themselves simply communing with God. That the whole point of the work of, of Christ is that there would be a community, that we would be in fellowship with one another. Because the smartest, most mature, most together of us, the most authoritative of us, must have people in companionship and fellowship with them because that is what we need. Paul needed a, a Timothy. He needed an Epaphroditus. He needed people to be his friends. As he did this work. Uh, and, 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 and you can't see the ministry of Paul in, in writing all these great letters and planting all these churches and going and doing all this. He would not have been as effective. He would have not been able to do the work that he did had he not had these relationships. It, it is essential for you and I to recognize that. That our life as followers of Christ is a life not just of solitary, just me and Jesus, but it is a life of companionship and fellowship with one another. One of the things, and and so you should take an inventory of your own life. You should look at yourself and see, do I have those kinds of people in my life, companions, fellows, folks who challenge me, who encourage me, who have the same partnership, have the same understanding of the gospel, who walk with me. And if you don't, what you need to do is not complain that you don't have that, but give yourself to somebody else. When I was a kid, uh, I, <laughs> my, my mom, uh, I remember this very well, uh, she, is, she was not the warmest person ever, and uh, she didn't trust people very much, and she only had a couple of friends uh, outside of her family. But I remember coming to her one time and saying to her, you know, I'm all alone, I don't have any friends, nobody understands me, you know, woe is me, the typical kind of adolescent angst about not having any friends, and, and nobody's like me, and nobody likes me, and that kind of stuff. And so I figured what she would say to me is, there, there, son. Yeah, those people are terrible. You're right. 
She just looked at me and said, if you want to have a friend, you need to be a friend. Now go outside and play. (laughs) Yes, you know, that was so warm and so so sympathetic. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the truth, there's, there's real truth in that. Part of the reason why you're struggling with sin, part of the reason why I struggle with sin, part of the reason why, and and I don't just mean discouragement or anything like that, I mean any of the temptations, any of the darkness that might threaten to overwhelm us, part of the reason why we are prone to that is because we don't have companionship and fellowship with other believers in the gospel who can just come along and be with us and we can see Jesus in them And they can just talk to us. You know, we tend to think that the way this this works is, is that, you know, Christians can't have any kind of interaction with one another unless it is super structured. Well, the fact of the matter is, uh, we need people uh, to be friends with us who are friends uh, of us and with us in Jesus Christ. If Paul needed that, And he's way more mature than any of us. How much more do you and I need that? Right? And that is one of the tragedies of the of the situation that we find ourselves in today is because this is so hard. It's hard when there's not a pandemic and it's hard when there's not people screaming at each other. And it's hard when uh, there aren't people who are uh, uh, divisive and polarizing all around us. And so even more so now do we need the opportunity to be able to sit down with somebody else six feet apart and drink a cup of coffee or a a cup of tea and just talk. Just talk. Just talk about Jesus and just talk about how our encouragements, our discouragements, the hard things and the good things. How great would that be if we could just be able to experience that to some tiny degree. Now, there's much in our life that isolates us, and there's much in our our life that, that, that separates us. But even prison doesn't keep Paul from receiving the companionship and the fellowship that he has in Timothy. You and I need that. It's important. And I would submit to you that uh, many of our the weakness in our following after Jesus, our weakness in our being shaped by him, is not so much that we lack a discipline of scripture reading or prayer, or those sorts of things, although those things really matter. Being in companionship and fellowship with other believers is a means that God uses to change people as much as anything that is content-centered. And so if Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, needed somebody to be his friend, how much more do we need it? And how much more do we need an understanding of this fellowship and this energy that comes from us appropriating the gospel with someone that we know and love 
and that in turn bearing the fruit of us serving the interests of other people. That's the dynamic at work in this relationship, and that's the dynamic that, sh- that should be at work in believers, in a community, in a group of people coming together as the church. That's, what, that's one of the ways God changes us. So in light of that, let me pray uh, that God uh, would do that work in us. Lord, we, uh, we thank you today for this example that you've given us in the scriptures of uh, the companionship, the fellowship that uh, um, these two men experienced in the gospel and in, in mission together. Lord, I, I pray for the lonely and the isolated among us that you would... Um, that you would give us the gift of fellowship and companionship. Lord, I pray for those of us who uh, are fearful and embittered and disappointed that uh, you would energize us by the value that is in this and the work that you do in and through this to move us toward one another. Would you do that work? We need your help. Uh, We need it now in ways maybe um, uh, more than ever. So would you do that uh, in our hearts and lives? in our relationships, and in our church. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's confess our sins together by using uh, this confession from the Book of Common Prayer. Pray with me. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done. And we have done what we ought not to have done. And there's no help in us. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Restore those who repent. According to your promises declared to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. And grant, merciful Father, for his sake that we may live a godly, righteous, and obedient life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Believers, hear these words of encouragement. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Please stand and worship with us.